Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Navigate podcast, a series created and organized by Merck that aims to help listeners to better navigate and understand the changing NHS landscape. Throughout the series, we aim to provide NHS stakeholders with actionable recommendations on how they can support the optimal delivery of care in the emerging integrated care landscape to better meet the needs of their local population. In each episode, I'm joined by different leading experts for conversations which explore how service delivery is evolving in the NHS and what the emerging integrated care systems or ICSs could mean for the communities and individuals they serve. I am your host, Amira Amman, Director of Market Access and Pricing and Government and Public Affairs for Merck UK and Ireland. In today's episode, we're going to be exploring the future direction of specialised services within NHS England. Specialised services encompass a range of interventions, usually for patients who have rare conditions or who need a specialised team of healthcare professionals working together at a centre. This includes certain long-term conditions such as kidney services and rarer conditions such as uncommon cancer and burn care. The responsibility for commissioning specialised services has sat with NHS England since April 2013, and during this time they've aimed to improve outcomes of patients by ensuring equal access to services regardless of location. With the introduction of integrated care systems and integrated care boards, NHS England plan to integrate the majority of specialised services at a more local level. During today's conversation, we're going to be discussing the challenges and opportunities of integrating these services more locally, and most importantly, looking at what different stakeholders need to consider over the coming months. For this conversation, I'm delighted to welcome Malcolm Quayley. Malcolm is widely regarded as a leading expert in the field of specialised services. He was medicine's lead for specialised services within NHS England from April 2013 until his retirement in February 2022, and has an unrivaled understanding of the interties and complexities of delivering specialised services. Malcolm qualified as a pharmacist in 1984, working in various hospitals before settling in Leicester as the clinical pharmacy lead at the Leicester Royal Infirmary and Latley University Hospital Leicester before transitioning into commissioning. He has sat on various national advisory committees, as well as being the national clinical lead for the Early Access to Medicine Scheme in England. Malcolm, welcome to Navigate. Thanks, Samira. It's really good to be here today. We have quite a lot to discuss over the next 20 minutes, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your views on this topic. So to start, in May 2022, NHS England published a document or roadmap where they outlined how commissioning arrangements for specialised services will develop over the next few years. The document builds on previous policy statements that they've published, and it confirms a direction of travel towards more localised commissioning of services. Malcolm, could you tell us a bit about the ambition of NHS England's roadmap for for specialised services? Yeah, well, I suppose over the sort of nearly 10 years now that NHS England have been in existence, where NHS England have been the direct commissioner of specialised services, I think it's become clear over that time that some of the advantages of having a sort of a national central commissioning of those services there has been some negative impact on that. And there's some examples in the roadmap document about fragmentation of pathways, for instance, in HIV, where you have three separate commissioners or uh, the complexities of treating patients with renal problems, where a lot of the commissioning is done by the what were the CCGs. 
but then the end stage of those treatments, i.e. dialysis, uh, renal transplant, fell under specialised commissioning. And I suppose there was a thought process that certainly in some areas, they felt, well, this will be dealt with at some point. (laughs) And obviously, when you're at the end of a pathway, it's usually more expensive. And it's always better to prevent things from happening than having to treat the ultimate disease. The other thing about specialised commissioning, of course, is that quite often patients need to travel to certain centres to get their treatment. I think another clear goal is to refocus how the money flows and how healthcare is managed on a sort of much more local footing where those who are responsible for healthcare within their patch will look inwardly rather than perhaps with specialised commissioning as it stands where there's always this sort of outward movement of patients to these sort of specialised centres. So, I mean, the ambitions, I suppose, in the document and in the Act, that they want to focus much more closely on the local population and that specialist element to be part of the overall design of the treatment pathway. The document itself outlines quite an ambitious plan for integrating these services at a more local level. And when you look at the roadmap, with your knowledge of specialised services, what do you see as the main opportunities and challenges for achieving this integration? Well, I think the key challenge is actually implementing it, because as we sit here today, there are many challenges within the NHS, not least of all the huge waiting list that the NHS has. You know, we're topping 7 million people waiting for what are probably simple surgery, but there's just not the capacity to take those patients on. And in fact, I suppose the area that is least hit by that sort of thing is specialised commissioning to an extent, although you still have to go through the system sometimes to get to that specialist. And so where do you balance the work that you're going to do over the next two to three years? Because in theory, some of specialised commissioning is supposed to be moving in April 23. But as I say, it's the simple stuff, you know, the A&E waiting times, the being able to see a GP uh, within a a certain time frame, stopping the ambulances queuing up outside of the department for two hours and the waiting list in the round that the managers of the NHS really need to tackle first. And then you've got the workforce issues, a number of posts that are yet to be filled, and then the social care aspects and being able to get patients out of hospital that are effectively bed blocking. So in a sense, the challenges are not necessarily moving specialised commissioning responsibilities to the ICSs. It's more that they've got other things to, to worry about. And NHS England of itself internally is also going through another reorganisation. So they're coming together with Health Education England and NHS Digital. There's a lot of stuff going on before you even think about the transition of some specialised services into ICS management. That said, of course, the opportunities are potentially enormous if they can get it right if they can take what is effectively the funding because from my perspective the actual decisions about for instance what medicines will be available for patients within the NHS will still be taken on a national level it's more about how they're delivered and where they're delivered and how that pathway joins up so those are to my mind are the huge opportunities not necessarily for the system as in the trust or or the ICS per se but for the patients, because this obviously should be patient-centred. What is the benefit to patients? 
in moving specialised commissioning under ICS control. But as I say, it's not so much that they're making decisions about what and indeed how the service should look, because that's part of a national service specification. It's more about how they deliver those services for their local population. If we go back to think about the pressures that the NHS are currently facing, and you've listed some of them, they're all around timely access to primary care, how do we improve mental health services, addressing the elective care backlog that's been caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. It seems like amongst all these priorities, the NHS are now also trying to establish these ICBs, and they're moving towards more collaborative system working. With all this in mind, I mean, how realistic do you think it is for ICSs to achieve the the key milestone and the vision that's been outlined in the roadmap by April 2023? I think it's going to be very difficult. The idea is this is a two-stage process in a sense, in that they've looked at which specialised services are suitable to move. And in that, I think it's about there's a a good understanding of what that specialised service looks like, what funding is available for that specialised service, or at least what money is spent on that specialised service at the moment. And it's in a kind of a very fixed, stable environment. And then they're looking at service readiness in as much as would it be ready to move and be able to be managed by the ICB ICS. And that second process has yet to take place. So They'll be looking at that theoretically in November, although don't forget that the establishment of the ICSs was three months late. So whether the timescales get pushed back a bit, I, I don't know. But theoretically, they're going to look at that in November. They're going to set up a sort of a panel to assess which ICSs are suitable for specialised commission services. And then an announcement in February to say what's moving and to where. It's very clear in the document that this is not going to be single ICSs taking on specialised services. They're going to be multiple ICSs. You can read into that that it'll be a sort of a regional footing of those ICSs working together to establish the management of specialised services across that patch. Whether or not in the future that goes down to single ICSs, we shall see. So it'll be ICSs working together collaboratively. If one ICS within that group isn't able to take it on, and I think they'll still take it on inverted commas, but with the support of the other ICSs. If there's a particular area that can't take it on, then there'll be a sort of shadowing of managing that particular specialised service alongside the current management under the specialised commissioning hubs with the idea that they then take it on in April 24. But as I say, we've already slipped three months with the plan Whether we see more slippage, we'll see. So I guess based on what you've said, and I think you've covered some of this, what do you think are the likely next step for ICSs over the next 12 to 18 months? And is there anything in there that we really need to take into consideration when we start to project into the next year to to year and a half? So first and foremost, you know, we've talked about the pressures on the NHS. That really has to be their priority. And at the very least, they're still establishing themselves as ICSs. So it's very early on in their establishment, as it were. I think it's difficult to say from a SPECCOM perspective and then transitioning the services across. And we talk about the services moving, not necessarily medicine. So even within a a service shift, you might see some medicine staying under the control of specialised commissioning, uh, central, i.e. NHS England. And that will be determined over, let's say, the next six months. If they do take on 
specialized commissioning within a particular patch, then I suspect from an ICS perspective, they'll need to concentrate on getting to know the service, getting to understand how that service works, and then looking for the opportunities for delivering, let's say, a more robust, more localized and focused pathway for their population within their established footfall so that you see, a, hopefully, an establishment of better, more local services for patients that would normally go into what we call, I suppose, NHS England-controlled specialised commissioning. To my mind, it would be better, certainly for 23, for ICSs to perhaps take on a very small number of specialised commissioning services. Because 65, to me, sounds quite a lot of services to take on, but that's the figure at the moment. But as I say, until we get to February and understand what may be moving and to whom, it's quite difficult to put your finger down and say that's definitely what what they're going to have to focus on in the next 12 months. They're certainly going to have to establish financial flows. We are at the moment in a sort of a flux when it comes to the funding of the NHS as a whole, but particularly the high cost drugs, because we've just been through COVID. NHS England quickly established in April 20 that all the high cost medicines went into block payments. So what that meant was instead of what we called pass through, so you got paid for what you bought, you established a fixed amount of money that paid for all the medicines that were on that high cost drugs list. Now that stayed like that for CCGs, stroke ICS, commission services. In specialised commissioning in October of the same year, we moved a number of high cost drugs back into pass-through. So you've actually got a sort of a two-tier system at the moment where you've got some of Specom drugs being in pass-through, some are in block, All of the medicines in ICS world are in block. So they're going to have to work out exactly how they're going to move forward with this. Hopefully in 23, there'll be some new directions on how the flows will work with medicines. The other thing that's clear in the document is, of course, that unlike the rest of the services and how they're going to be paid, which is population-based, so in other words, if a patient is in a Northwest ICS and they live in Blackpool, then the funding is with that ICS in the Northwest. But the medicines, as they are now, will stay at a delivery point. So if that patient from Blackpool happens to go down to London for a medicine, the actual budget will be in the London ICS, not in the Northwest ICS, as it would be if they were going down for surgery to a London trust. It's all quite complicated, but these are the sorts of things I think they've got to get to grips with. And they've got to get to grips with things like new NICE guidance coming through and how that's going to impact on their budgets moving forward, establishing very quickly relationships with trusts to understand how they see their budgets shifting and changing over time and clearly building relationships so that they can work together, not just to enable innovative medicines into the system very quickly, but also identify areas where they can reduce costs of medicines. 
Yeah, it's a lot to work through before we reach a, a seamless process. The proposed changes that you mentioned today and outlined by NHS England will have a huge impact on a number of stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem. On the Navigate podcast, we always like to ask our experts to provide some practical recommendations and considerations to our listeners. What would your recommendations be to ICS leaders and, and hospital trust representatives as they, they navigate this new area? Certainly at this point, trusts will probably not see a lot of change other than where they're sending the invoices to, would be my gut feeling. Five years down the line, they might see a lot of change. ICS might decide that trust's not going to deliver this service anymore, or at least it will But rather than it being the only provider of that particular specialised service, there may be two or three other trusts that will also be established to provide that specialised service. So in the here and now, apart from the stuff I talked about, financial flows for medicines, they won't, I don't think, see a lot of change. They'll be dealing with different faces, but the cash flow stays the same as in its local funding at the trust level rather than this population-based funding. The monies will come down centrally for new NICE guidance, and that will be passed on. And any new NICE guidance, if it's a high-cost drug, is bound to be passed through, which is what we established when we sort of moved to this sort of mixture of block and pass-through medicines within SPECCOM. So I think for the trusts, certainly the next year, perhaps two, I think there'll be very little change other than the people they're dealing with. For the ICSs, one of the things that I would highly recommend to the ICSs is we established a number of what we call commissioning pharmacists that work on the trust side, but also for commissioners. Some of those were purely SPECCOM, some were a mixture of SPECCOM and CCG pharmacists. So they're funded by the commissioner, but they worked within the trust. And I would highly recommend that they continue to, and perhaps establish even more posts that support the implementation of medicines within secondary care and perhaps even at some point establish similar posts in primary care to support the shift of those medicines out into community-based settings. I've already said they've got to get a grips with how SPECCOM works, what the service looks like, what's coming down the line. We established horizon scanning and pipelines and all sorts of things for specialised commissioning over the last few years, and that's really mature now. So that's something that I think ICSs will have to get to grips with because they need to understand, obviously, what the impacts are going to be of new medicines, but also the opportunities where medicines are going off patent, either as a generic or biosimilar. Things like ATMPs are likely to stay at the national level, but who knows down the line, so they'll need to get to grips with those sorts of things and how you're going to pay for those. And also data collection. They need to establish proper data collection. I'd like to see a national system for data collection sorted out in the next couple of years. But in the meantime, they may need to do something and maintain blue tech because at the moment for secondary care, that's pretty much the only uh, data that we can get on medicines usage that's really of any use. For industry, again, to an extent, things don't change very much for industry. You know, as I said earlier, the decision making about which medicines that are part of the SPECCOM umbrella, because NHS England still remains responsible commissioner for the services that have been identified as specialised commissioning under the four factors. For industry, the decisions on which medicines will be available in the NHS, it will largely still be made by NICE. However, 
where you have medicines that are sitting in a pathway amongst other medicines, you know, there are other choices at that point in the pathway. The industry might want to think about increasing their workforce, not a sales team, but people who can go out to the likes of ICS medicines management teams to talk through the benefits of their medicine. And I'm not talking necessarily about the clinical benefits because if you've got nice guidance, that's kind of already telling you it's not only clinically effective, but cost effective. But as I say, if you're up against other medicines, what other advantages does that medicine have over your competitor? And to my mind, going back to the top of the shop, the biggest issue for the NHS at the moment is capacity. So if you can help reduce capacity help reduce chair time requirements, diagnostics required, contact with healthcare workers, be that in the hospital or, or your GP, then that's a bit of a goldmine, I think, to the NHS if you've got a medicine that's going to reduce those factors. So that's my key recommendation to the industry, I think, with this transition to increase your footfall around the ICSs. Because, you know, over the last nine, 10 years, senior colleagues in industry have had to speak to people in NHS England. And that's not necessarily going to be the case moving forward. Yeah, great. Malcolm, we've covered a lot today. To close our discussion, what would be the one thing you would like to see happen to the delivery of specialised services over the next 12 months? It's not what I'd like to see happen. It's probably what I'd like to see not happen, which is to fragment the achievements that have been made over the last nine to 10 years. I'd hate to say it's a sort of a a centralised control of medicines use, but certainly the ability of, of NHS England to not only agree strategies for medicines use, the establishment of the biologics framework, again, showing how being realistic about this, savings can be established by shifting from a a branded product to a biosimilar in as quick a way as possible, but obviously protecting the patient at the same time is key. So I wouldn't want those sorts of things being broken up and ICSs thinking they can go it alone and make these deals, inverted commas, because I don't think that's really possible. So that would be my one desire or wish. Great. Malcolm, thank you for sharing your thoughts on this topic. It will be interesting to see where we are this time next year. Thank you, Mira. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for reaching the end of another Navigate episode. If you have any comments on the topic discussed today or would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please leave us a comment below. If you would like to stay up to date on the latest episodes, you can do so by clicking the subscribe button. For now, thank you and goodbye.